Maybe you noticed in our, our psalm today, uh, verse 51, uh, it said, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Verse 51. One of the given realities is that God in his providence and his wisdom and his absolute control has placed the glorious gospel into a, an extremely competitive environment. Um, it's kind of like many other environments you and I know. For example, let's say you want to open a new restaurant. I, you know, I'm not getting much out of my mic. Are you hearing me okay? Okay, if you're hearing me, that's all I need. <laughs> that's fine. Let's say that you were opening a new restaurant. You know, restauranteurs, I, I, I'm really no expert on being a restaurant. Restauranteur, a guy who runs a restaurant, but it looks like a really hard job. And if you watch the restaurants here along Lighthouse, you'll know that it's very competitive. It is hard to survive. And in some locations, it seems like every couple of years, somebody else has this big dream, you know, and they've borrowed a bunch of money, they're going to put in a restaurant, and then <laughs> they don't quite make it, right? It's a very competitive environment. Well, I know that sounds silly, but the reality is that's the way God has put the, the truth into this amazingly competitive environment. If you look at the Gospel of John... It's one of the awesome books that tells us right at the very end why John wrote it. I've read this a few times in our study of it, but it's John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, the author, says, this is why I wrote this book, so that for generation upon generation to come, and he had no idea how many generations that would be. Did he know that uh, in the year 2015, all the way around the globe, we'd be reading his gospel? No way did he know that, but God did. And the gospel comes to us and says, Here, here's the evidence about Jesus. This is what he said. This is what he did. Believe it. Come to know it. Be informed. And trust in him. Why? So you can have life. The opposite is obviously true. You choose not to believe him, you will die. You have death forever. And so as we come to this turning point in the Gospel of John, uh, the turning point is... Jesus' public ministry in chapter 12 ends, and the rest of the book, there's a lot of good teaching that we'll get into, Lord willing, uh, in the next several months. But the rest of the book is, is inside information, uh, mainly to his own disciples. He's ending his public ministry. And the sad thing is, remember last week we looked at it in verse 36, the second half. Well, you can look at the invitation in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, and he's speaking about himself, the light is among you for a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That answers the question a lot of people actually have, or a lot of people will make bold statements about this. They'll say things like, oh, well, you know, Jesus would never go away from someone. Jesus wouldn't hide himself from someone. Um, Yes, he does. Sometimes. Here it is. He had spoken. He'd performed miracles. He'd poured out himself before them, and they didn't like him. They didn't accept him. They didn't believe him. So he left. He left and hid himself. This is a big turn from public ministry to the private ministry. And he's saying, hey, you have the opportunity. Believe now. You have this opportunity. Take it now. He departed and hid himself from them. Look at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. See, so even in the life of Jesus himself, who he was there performing miracles. For example, the raising of the dead. Lazarus was really dead. And they knew that. He had many, many witnesses to this fact. And he brought him back to life. A huge miracle. Why wouldn't you believe that? Well, many of them didn't. And of course, then, in God's perfect providence here in the book of John, John tells us that there's a a theological reason for this. It's not some unexpected, regrettable outcome from God's point of view. God, the sovereign God, has even planned on this unbelief. Uh, That's what we looked at last week. Uh, You see that in those verses 38 through uh, 41. The fact is, their unbelief fulfills prophecy. See, they still did not believe so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. So even God, although he puts himself into this competitive environment and persuasively teaches and performs miracles to bring people to himself. Although he's doing all that, yet at the same time in his sovereignty, he has chosen who will believe and who will not. These people couldn't believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. These people were committed to destruction. They were, in the words of Holy Scripture, this is Holy Scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 9 talks about vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And in, in the historical context of Isaiah, we know this to be true. The children of Israel had had been just like the children of Israel in the day of Jesus had received much love, much communication, much revelation, and had consistently turned their back on it 
And so God said, you are going to die. You are going to be judged by Assyria, by Babylon, and that's it. And Isaiah was, said, okay, this is your, you preach now. <laughs> You're going to preach the truth, and I guarantee you people will not believe. People will not turn, but I want you to preach anyway, although I have blinded their eyes, I've hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And I just love this. This is where we ended last week. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. There's so much going on there. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Now, the book of Isaiah, uh, early on in the book, chapter 6, for example, I mean, specifically, is that scene in heaven that I already made reference to during communion, where Isaiah sees the glory of God. Uh, In the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon his throne. And the train, what does it say? The train of his robe filled the temple, right? And then there's these uh, angels, the seraphim, flying around with, they have these wings. They, 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 They can't even look at God. They cover their face with their wings. They cover their feet and their body, and they fly, and they say, holy, 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 kadosh, 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 um, is the Lord God, and who's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all capability, Yahweh Sabaoth. Watch for that whenever you sing, uh, a mighty fortress is our God, Uh, a bulwark never failing. Lord Sabaoth, his name, From age to age the same. Uh, Written by Martin Luther, Lord Sabaoth, that's Yahweh Sabaoth, hosts. It means, look at the capability he has. Uh, America is right now um, renowned. I don't want to say self-proclaimed, but I think it's actually a given fact. We are the sort of the hegemon in terms of military capability. We have the greatest military in the world. Um, we spend the most on it, that's for darn sure. <laughs> all you guys are getting a salary from that, okay? So <laughs> but this is all true. We have hosts. <laughs> I can't say that, plural word. Host and hosts. <laughs> we, have, we have hosts. We have capabilities. We can send a drone your way. We can do it. We can get it done. Well, this is just a small little bit compared to God. He's the Lord of hosts. And what, is that, what does it say? The whole earth. Kal ha'eretz. Hebrew word ha'eretz. The earth. Kal. All of it. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah 6. See, we kind of think have you seen those satellite images of the earth at night where, where the population centers are burning bright and many continents have very few population centers? We kind of think that's the way God's glory is. Like, whoa, if we flew over, we'd say, oh, there's some of his glory. Oh, there's some of his glory, but look at all that darkness. No, that's not it. The whole earth is full of his glory 
even the darkness and the light brings him glory. He's the sovereign Lord of all capability. He's not limited by our unbelief or the world's ignorance, willful ignorance of him. He's not. He's sovereign even over that. So that's, uh, that's last week's message. <laughs> I didn't get enough of it, so I wanted a little bit more. So let's look at today's message. I, I want to say, why believe in Jesus? Uh, and it's the text of th- this next little part in John. Nevertheless, nevertheless, doesn't have a T on the end there. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but... For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they feared the glory, excuse me, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm reading poorly here, let me start all over, let me just pray here, Father, in your kindness, help me to preach this message and to read your precious word, amen. Nevertheless, Many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore... I say, as the Father has told me. So we have this mist of apparent faith on the part of, it says, authorities. A lot of the Pharisees and priests will actually find out in Acts later on, you know, that some of them come to true faith. But at this point, they're muddling around. They're saying, yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus, but I'm, I'm really not ready to make a commitment. I'm really not ready to confess it publicly. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be put out of the synagogue. Uh, I really desperately want people to think I'm cool. Maybe they didn't put it quite that way, uh, but that's the way we'd probably put it today. You know, I, I want people to accept me. I want their glory God's glory, it's immaterial, it's off in the future, I'm not sure about it. But right now, it's really important for me to get credit and praise from my fellow man. 
for fear they did not confess their faith. See, this phony faith actually will, will get you nowhere. Why believe in Jesus? First of all, belief requires confession. John, in his letter, this book, he's been really careful about this, and I want to review this quickly. When he says belief, he's talking about potent, real faith that confesses, that comes out publicly, and is commitment to follow Jesus. It's obedience. It's submission to the Lord. It's not sort of a passing interest, like, yeah, I mean, I believe in Jesus. I'm an American. (laughs) Don't all Americans sort of believe in Jesus? Um, I mean, honestly, if you went down to Cannery Row right now, and you talk to the tourists and just said, do you believe in Jesus? You know, most of them will say, well, yeah. Like, leave me alone. You know, of course. Yeah. Almost all of them would say that. You get a few people like, no, possibly. But generally, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, then why aren't you in church? You know? <laughs> it's Sunday morning. Why aren't you in church, right? Well, phony faith will get you nowhere. And let, let's look at this really quickly in John because the evidence is very important. It's a part of why John wrote this book. He wants people to realize that this is what we mean by belief, by belief in Jesus. Look at John 2, 23. I've pointed this out a couple of times because it's actually key to understanding this word belief in the book of John. John put this here. This is John 2, 23. To set the tone for where he's going to be going in this book. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, this is like three years ago from our point of view, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So let's pause and think of possible reactions of Jesus, right? He could say, this is so fantastic. All these people believe in me. Yes, that's what I was looking for. No, look what it says. But Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. They actually had a form of faith, a beginning faith, but it wasn't real. It was phony. They were just there for, what can you do for me? Can you help me right now? I like your signs. Uh, I like what you're doing. But he didn't entrust himself to them. Now, here's the linguistic interest thing here. You see the word, it says, many believed in him when they saw the signs that he was doing. And then verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. That's the same word for belief. Yes, he said, you believe in me, but I don't believe in you because I know what's really going on in your heart. Jesus isn't swayed by somebody who says, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. No, he sees our actions. He knows what's in our heart. And he didn't entrust himself. He didn't believe them. Look quickly at another interesting place. John 6, 14. John 6, 14 through 15. This is another case where people misunderstood Jesus and acted like they thought he was really awesome. But he knew that they were going the wrong direction with him. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So they show this flash of excitement. You're the prophet. We were waiting for you. Yes. 
What, is, what does it say, though? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus we withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He knew that they had the wrong motivation. They weren't exercising an informed faith about who Jesus truly was. They were just saying, I hear a little bit. I like what I hear. I want you. And Jesus says, no, you don't have the proper understanding. You don't have submission to me in your heart. You're going to try to force me to be king. I'm not king now in that way. Look at uh, now 830. 830. Let's see, this is a recurrent theme in, in the Gospel of John. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. You know, once again, if he's just looking for shallow belief, he'd be saying, yes, thank you, thank you, buy my book, you know, meet me at the signature table, or send in your registration for my next seminar. <laughs> he didn't do that. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a qualification here. I'm not interested in shallow faith. I'm interested in a faith that pursues me and loves my word and abides in the truth. And then you will know the truth. See, this verse is often misquoted, isn't it? The truth and the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They forgot the part that says you'll know the truth by abiding in the word. The word of God gives us the truth that we are supposed to be having faith in. Um, here's one more summary verse. This is from 2 John, verse 9. 2 John, that's these little letters at the end of the Bible. 2 John, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the and the Son. So quickly, belief requires confession for fear they did not confess their faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10 are just classic verses on this. It says, if we confess Jesus as Lord, then we are saved. Look at that with me in Romans chapter 10. Turn in your iPhone to Romans chapter 10. Versus now, some of you still have a Bible. That's a good idea, too. Uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. These are classic, beautiful verses on this subject. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So these authorities didn't confess their faith for fear of the Pharisees, so they are not saved. Sometimes we need to tell people, you're not saved. You're, you're acting like you might be, you're showing some faith, but you're not really demonstrating true faith by following through. Why didn't they uh, confess their faith? They didn't want to change their lifestyle for fear that they'd be thrown out of the synagogue. It's too costly, too difficult. 
to follow Jesus. And then, of course, it also says they desperately wanted to be popular. I, I know maybe that's kind of a funny spin on that, but I think that's the issue here where it says we want the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's more important to me how other people think of me. And they're going to think I'm really stupid if I come out for Jesus and obey Jesus and live for him because I'm going to be weird. I'm going to be unusual. And it will be true of you that says, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Okay, so phony faith will get you nowhere. Belief requires confession. Secondly, today, belief is the only connection to God. This, and I mean this full defined belief. It's the only connection to God. Look at our text again. And Jesus cried out. First of all, I want to take a moment here. Jesus has an outburst. (laughs) Sometimes we need to be very clear and even loud. This word really means he spoke loudly. Uh, He cried out. He has, what's he saying? Why is he talking so loudly over there? Uh, Look with me real quickly at this. This is kind of interesting. In John, he uses the same word several times. John 1.15. John 1.15. We get back into John the Baptist. John 1.15. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out. John's out in the desert, the wind's howling. It's like being on the beach in Monterey at 5 p.m., You've got to yell loudly if you want to be heard by more than just that person four feet away from you, right? He yells out. He cries out loudly. He wants to clear the air. He wants to make this really clear. This is important. Look at John 7.37. Same thing. Where This time it's Jesus. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You hear his voice echoing around. Like, what? What's going on? Why is that guy standing up and yelling? It's embarrassing. We want everything smooth and sort of predictable. Could you stay with the script, you know? Like, you only say something that we give you to say. <laughs> That's not Jesus. He's, he's got some truth. He needs to communicate it well. Look, and then 1142. 43, 11.43, same thing. This is at the tomb. The same word. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Beautiful, powerful words. Don't you know that the people there heard and remembered that? And then sadly, look at 19.15. Some more crying out here. And John uses this word many times in this context in in and around chapter 19, verse 15. It says, they cried out, same word, they yelled out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. So the truth cries out in the street and the enemy cries out. There's competition. There's multiple people yelling. Jesus makes a loud statement 
Another way to say it is Jesus is most often clear and emphatic. John has emphasized that in this book. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is emphatic. He says it over and over again. Don't miss it. You, and what does he say here in our text today? He says this, as I said at the top, belief is the only, only connection to God. That's why we should believe in him. It's the only way to go. You want to be connected to God? Then this is the way you go. Our text says this. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. Jesus is the connection to God. There's no other connection. He's it. And this will be taught many other times in the gospel as well. You believe in Jesus. You believe in God. You see Jesus. You see God. So many people say, well, I believe in God. But it's God as I define him. Okay, that's, that's crazy arrogance. You really think... You're going to define God, and, and, and he'll reform in the way you're defining him? It's like, who do you think you are? You think God has the ability to communicate himself and who he is? Absolutely. And here it is. He is the only connection. Jesus is the connection to God. Now, belief will change our condition. Why should we believe in Jesus? Well, it's the only connection to God, and it will change our condition. Look at this beautiful word here. Verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You don't have to remain in darkness. I came to change your life. And those who commit themselves to following me, trusting me, living for me, will enjoy light and not remain in the darkness. This is actually one sign of a true believer that they're gradually growing out of living in the darkness. And how does this uh, show up? Not remain in darkness. It's lifestyle issues. There's lifestyle darkness. I read a news story. I guess boxing's been in the news for some reason, right? (laughs) And the, the, the next boxing match... As from some guy, John Doe, whatever, and he was in an, uh, an accident. Maybe you heard this in, in Albuquerque, where the uh, Tory's son lives. No connection. <laughs> but, you know, he was in a rental truck car, and he's got, like, wads of cash in the car, and he's in an accident. Nobody's, apparently nobody's, like, seriously hurt. There's three cars involved in the accident, and he, he decides to run from the rental, and then he comes back and jams the money in his pocket, and they, of course, they find marijuana and a marijuana smoking pipe in the car. What's my point here? <laughs> my point is, these are, this is darkness, okay? The, Christians don't live this way. I'm not saying anything about this guy. I know nothing about him, okay? But this is my point. Christians grow out of darkness. They don't live that kind of lifestyle anymore. And Jesus came to free you from that. He said, if you sin, you're a what? Uh, a slave to sin. Remember that? You're a slave to sin. You're ensnared in it. And he came to free you from that slavery, that ensnared lifestyle. 
And, and darkness is discouragement too. Just darkness and sadness and depression. You know, there's nothing that makes you more depressed than evil and sin and your own sin, your own rebellion and, and the rebellion of other people, things that they did that hurt you. And if you meditate on all that sin and that darkness, you're going to be dis- discouraged and depressed. He says, I came to free you from that. You can walk in the light as I am in the light. And you can know about forgiveness. We can know that our relationship with God is not based on my ability to perform. It's grace upon grace. And there's a a freedom not remaining in the darkness. Why should you believe? We're we're not peddling a lifestyle of of, of sort of darkness and and dreary, uh, law-keeping and like all the don'ts and... And we're, no, we're, we're not peddling anything, but I'm representing a lifestyle of, of joy. Jesus said, I came to give you life, an abundant life, and peace, and freedom, and rest. And we all need to grow into that more and more. And then another way to think about darkness is knowledge, meaning we are called to know more and more of the truth, to come out of the, the darkness of ignorance and lack of information, to be informed, to abide in his word and know his word and trust him and know, you know, even, even meditating on Isaiah 6, the whole earth is filled with his glory. I mean, that's so awesome. He's not losing He's not going, oh my goodness, this whole thing is just not working out. You know, that's what I say in the middle of a project. Like, oh, I'm not sure this thing is going to work, you know. Uh, but God's not saying that. It's perfectly programmed. You know, there's no, there's no update to the software needed. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's operating perfectly as he has planned of him, through him, and to him are all things. And we know this. We trust him. It inspires our confidence in Yahweh Sabaoth. Belief will change our condition. And then finally, look at the rest of this text. I just want you to notice here something. Just, just step half a step back. Why don't you everybody turn to your neighbor and say, are you awake? <laughs> Okay, everybody's awake, because this is super important. Notice here, honestly, that basically Jesus is being very redundant. Let me say that again. (laughs) Where's Sam on the drums? (laughs) Jesus is being very redundant. He's repeating himself over and over and over Again, and this isn't new. Many of the commentators, honestly, at the end of this said, well, there's actually nothing new in this paragraph. Right. (laughs) But may I say, Jesus is the Word of God. And the Word is making this point phenomenally emphatically. (laughs) Right? It's like, get this! I'm speaking loudly and repetitively because this is important. And what does he say? Hear hear the word of God. 
He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Now, that, that's where America wants to stop right there. Oh, good. Oh, super. No judgment. <laughs> that's my kind of deal, you know? No judgment at all. Fantastic. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I heard. No judgment. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hear out the entire sentence. Listen, listen, listen. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You might say, however, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Here's this statement. Do not reject the content of Jesus. The, the words are what matter. The, the, see, a lot of people say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I mean, Jesus, I'm all about Jesus. In fact, look at this cross. You can't question my faith. Look at the cross. <laughs> but I do have some marijuana in my, in my glove compartment and wads of cash. You know, so. Okay, extreme example, but uh, this is my point. That, no, Jesus is saying, don't, don't reject my word. Why do you think we came and communicated so thoroughly? It's not so you could ignore it. We are to be living in the Word and constantly nourished by the Word. Now, let me ask you a question. You, you say you're a Christian. When's the last time you read the Bible on your own? You just sat down and actually read it. Okay, and okay, you, you say you're a Christian. You say you believe in Jesus. When did you read his word? The word will be your judge. You should get to know it. My dear son, Colbjorn, got his driver's license this, this week. Fantastic California objective. And, and when they give you the license, you know, there's like rules you have to keep. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, oh no, we don't want the content. We just want the privileges, you know? We don't want to keep your rules. We don't want to drive at any certain speed or park in any certain way. No, of course, you have to, you have to understand. You're responsible for the content. You can't ever say to the policeman, well, sir, I just didn't know. Oh, okay, fine. You didn't know. Isn't that dandy? You know? Okay, and every once in a while, they'll give you a pass indeed. But generally speaking, you're responsible for the content whether you ignore it or not. And that's certainly true with Jesus. Don't ne neglect the content of what Jesus says. And that's, you see, what I'm preaching to is the modern mind, which says, I kind of like Jesus, but I just don't want any of the content. I just don't want to listen to what he said. Uh, all authority comes from God. He's making this so emphatically. Verse 48, the one who rejects me doesn't, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. This word in Greek is entole. If you're a Greek scholar, that means something to you. It's the word commandment. Okay, It means not a suggestion. He's not sharing. You know, it's like, this is something you might want to consider. No, it's, it's, a, it's a command. There's authority. And, and notice in the text, it's God the Father 
giving God the Son a command. It's a commandment. The word is not optional. The word is authoritative. And, and look how Jesus takes it here. He says, he, the, and look at the way the language is, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. See, so if you ignore the Bible and you ignore Jesus' words, you're ignoring God. And you can't have God without Jesus. So whatever you're doing out there in the name of religion has nothing to do with God because you've ignored God. I saw a a Buddhist priest uh, walking into uh, Home Depot yesterday. You know, all his different clothing and stuff. And I thought, I didn't engage him. Okay, I should have. <laughs> but you know, I thought, okay, there's a there's another religion, right? There's and it's people like this religion. It's growing in popularity in California, uh, but they don't believe the Bible. They don't even believe in a personal God at all. And and Jesus is saying, no, you are not right with God. It's commandment. It is life. He tells us what to say and how to say it. Look at how Jesus develops this. Even think, This is what I want you to say here. And this is my final thought. Jesus is the word of God. He's fully God, fully man. But he's completely submitted to the Father. And he's extremely careful not to say anything that's not from the Father. Even Jesus never ventures out into some creative revelation. No. Look at how he puts it here. He himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. What he says, I speak the same thing because his commandment is life. And if you mess up with his commandment, you end up with not life. If you start adding other stuff in there, uh, other means of pleasing God, this is actually what got the Roman Catholic priest professor, Martin Luther, got him going on what we call the Protestant Reformation. Because as he studied the word of God, he realized that the church had added many things to what they taught that weren't from the Bible. And these things actually contradicted the Bible. And so he said, we have to reform the church. We have to get it back to the word of God. And if Jesus is this careful, how careful should we be? We've got to be extreme as we preach, as we teach. We we teach the word of God. That's it. The minute we start getting creative, we are going to be in trouble. We preach the whole counsel of God. The message fits the method. The method must fit the message. Jesus says, I'm strictly confined to what the Father has told me. He's told me what to say and what to speak. It's life, and therefore I say as the Father has told me. The reason for the clarity potency and the critical nature of the word of Jesus is because it is the word of God. 
That's why it's so important. That's why it's so powerful. That's why he makes it so clear. It is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this paragraph. And while we agree with the commentators, it says nothing really new is said here. But we see the extreme dependence of Jesus Christ on the commandment of his Father, the authority, the submission he demonstrates to you, O Father God. And in our hearts, we first come with repentance because we have not submitted to you as we ought. In your grace, O Father, receive Receive us through Jesus Christ alone and forgive us our sins. Help us to depend on you uh, a lot more and more consistently. Father, thank you that Jesus kind of came out of hiding for this. The previous verse said he departed and hid himself. And next, he comes out and speaks again in grace with a loud voice making it clear. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.